Vox Quick Hits. Herman, the biggest barrier here to getting to herd immunity is vaccine hesitancy. Is that right? It might not be the biggest barrier now, but over time it's going to become the biggest barrier just because eventually supply will probably outstrip demand. And we know from surveys that about 30% of the population doesn't want a vaccine. 30%? Yeah, it's quite a lot. I, I mean, if if you go back to the numbers of herd immunity, 70 or 80%, 30% would be enough to essentially squash those dreams. And it's especially bad because right now we only have vaccines authorized for adults, not children. So since 20% of the population is kids, that means we basically need every adult or close to every adult getting a vaccine to really reach herd immunity. And yeah, the the polls suggest that is not the case right now. Another wrench in this is that in, in general with polls, we know that the people who are less likely to answer them just have like lower trust in institutions. Mm. And those populations are probably more likely to say they don't want a vaccine. So if anything, that 30% might be an underestimate. Why do people not want this vaccine? Do we have the reasons? A lot of surveys have tried to dig into this. On one hand, there is a small subgroup, and I think this is the one you hear the most about, but it's probably a minority. And these are the conspiracy theorists, the anti-vaxxers. Like, you've probably seen somewhere online about, like, 5G or certain wealthy people. That the vaccine will leave an invisible, digital, trackable tattoo. That Dr. Anthony Fauci, a leader in the vaccine effort, is actually Satan. That the vaccine is part of a CIA Illuminati conspiracy to control the world. All that stuff, which is obviously false. There's a group that believes in that, and so they don't want a vaccine. The bigger populations are just people who don't believe that COVID is a big threat. And because they don't believe in COVID is a big threat, they don't want a vaccine. You can probably make up a stereotype of this in your head, but it is like people who, particularly on the right, who supported Trump, who believed all what he was saying last year about how the coronavirus should not be affecting your life too much. It will go away. You know it, you know it is going away. And it will go away. And we're going to have a great victory. That's, that's the kind of group we're talking about here. There's also a group of people, and some of these can overlap, I should say, but there's also a group of people who just think the vaccine process was too fast. I mean, Operation Warp Speed was a very catchy name, but it also feeds into this idea that, like, we're going at warp speed, right? So maybe some corners are being cut. That's not necessarily true. We still went through the FDA three-phase process for this, but a lot of people still hold that belief. We've talked about the version of vaccine hesitancy that comes from sort of the conspiracy theory, the misinformation, the, you know, lackadaisical attitudes towards the pandemic to begin with. But there are legitimate reasons here that some communities in this country and across the world feel hesitant about trusting a vaccine, right? Yeah, that's certainly true. I mean, particularly the black community and minority communities in general, I should say. They have for years faced discrimination, outright discrimination in the healthcare system. They've faced situations where they were literally being experimented on against their will. This is something that you can look back in the history of the U.S. and it is is stuff that has popped up repeatedly. So if you're living in that environment, it's kind of reasonable for you to be a little skeptical of the healthcare system. You don't believe it's set up to protect you. You don't believe it's set up to like make you healthier. And unfortunately, some of that is translating to distrust in in the vaccine as well. And 
it's important to separate that out, not just because it's like a different group of people with different concerns, but like it also means we're going to have to have different strategies for addressing vaccine hesitancy in this group than others. Are there strategies in place to do that? Ideally, the government should have been doing this months ago. The federal government in particular, uh, I mean, I've been talking to experts about this for months, and every single time they were like, we should have been doing this yesterday. And (laughs) I mean, what we have seen is like every once in a while, some public health official will jump on TV, like Fauci or whatever, and, and debunk some things. The process of the speed did not compromise at all safety, nor did it compromise scientific integrity. It was a reflection of the extraordinary scientific advances in these types of vaccines, which allowed us to do things in months that actually took years before. But that's not really like a concerted federal campaign. And the thing we really need here is like uh, some sort of like national PSA would be great. Like, let's get Taylor Swift to get her vaccine while being videotaped, like recorded, like encouraging other people to get vaccinated. I see I'm too late. But it's not Taylor Swift, right? It's like Beyonce. Right. Okay. I, I mean, if we, if we can Beyonce and Taylor Swift and like just about every other celebrity to get vaccinated, <laughs> that, that would be fantastic. Like, and do it live, um, stream it, put it yeah, on Instagram, yeah, yeah, whatever. Yeah. That kind of national campaign would help. But... Like I mentioned, different places and different people are going to have different concerns about the vaccine and COVID. So what works for, like, say, a Trump supporter who doesn't believe COVID is a big threat is not going to work for, say, a black person who just doesn't trust the healthcare system. And so what the federal government and state and local governments need to do here is really, like, fund and fuel these, like, local efforts to communicate with people, target specific groups of people and tell them like why their concerns might be off, like what we know about the vaccine, like what the research and evidence and all of that says both about the virus and the vaccine. Beyond messaging to vaccine-hesitant communities better, has the vaccine messaging in total been lackluster? I mean, this is a thing that could prevent you from getting this terrible disease, but... You hear a lot of people talking about the downsides, talking about the fatigue, talking about the lines, talking about the pain to sign up. I mean, much more than I feel like you hear people talking about how great it is to not have to worry about COVID as much. Yeah, I mean, this is like generally a a medical miracle. (laughs) I think one thing here is in some cases we've been looking at the wrong numbers. So we often talk about like when the Johnson & Johnson vaccine came out, the top line number, the one that everybody focused on was that it was 66% effective. And a lot of people were like, oh, that, that's not as great as the Moderna and Pfizer ones, which were 90 plus percent effective. But like that's underselling actually all three of the vaccines, because that's only estimating like how many people get symptomatic disease, essentially, like some sort of illness. And what we've seen is that all of these vaccines drive hospitalizations and deaths essentially to zero. Like that's the number you should be focusing on, even if you get sick, like I don't know about most people, but personally, I could stand just like cold, cold like symptoms. I could even stand a fever. What I don't want to happen to me is getting hospitalized and dying. And that's exactly what these vaccines prevent. But because of the way this has been messaged, I think some of that has really been lost. Hmm. And and what's the upshot of that? Are we never going to get to the level of herd immunity we need? Are we always going to be 
watching the Australian Open and enjoying the tennis and then having it interrupted by COVID scares and and lockdowns? And is that going to be the case in our schools and at our restaurants and everything else? You know, I think in by the end of this year, at least in the U.S., we'll be looking at a much more optimistic time. We won't be looking at those kinds of situations nearly as much anymore. I mean, I've talked to experts about this, and they have said, like, look, once they get vaccinated, they're planning, like, barbecues. They're planning, like, holiday trips again. They will hug vaccinated family members once they're vaccinated, too. So I think we're going to start getting back to normal. The the question really here is whether we hit that herd immunity threshold. Like that's when we can really relax and say, okay, this is good. But even if we get like 60% immunity among the population, that's still better. So if we can get to that point, we're talking about a situation where life is much closer back to normal. And look, we'll still get outbreaks. Even vaccinated people may get a little sick. Um, It won't be the COVID that originally showed up that really terrified a lot of us, but they might get like cold-like symptoms. Like it it might be something more akin to like the flu. But at the end of the day, with this vaccine rollout, if we really manage to vaccinate enough people, we're going to be in much better shape than we are. Ramon Lopez is a senior correspondent at Vox. You can read his work at Vox.com. His Slack emoji is Eeyore. That was an excerpt of Today Explained. To hear the whole enchilada and others like it, check out Today Explained wherever you check out your podcasts.